Welcome to Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have our final preseason edition of The Deciding Point, where we have broken down our top 10 Division I men's and women's college tennis teams heading into this 2024 season. Of course, the calendar has turned to 2024, and coming up this weekend, we have our first formal dual matches of the new year. As such, starting next week, we're going to make a couple of pivots. Pivot number one, of course, is instead of projecting what might happen this year, we're going to start talking about everything that happens throughout the course of the season. I believe Tuesdays, Wednesdays, we're going to have deciding point episodes for you, not only on our Great Shot podcast feed, but pivot number two, we're headed back to our Crack Rackets YouTube channels where we will have episodes, excuse me, each and every week for you listeners updating you on the latest happenings in the Division I college tennis world. Of course, before we get there, though, we got one more team to preview in our preseason countdown. Our number one men's team, your two-time defending NCAA team champions. Of course, I'm alluding to the University of Virginia, who much like in the ITA preseason coaches poll, comes in in a disputed but still number one position in our Cracked Rackets poll to start the season. And joining me to break down the who's as they look for their second three-peat in program history here in 2024 is the man who has joined me throughout the course of this preseason, a man who will join me throughout the course of the regular season as well, and a man who you all know best as the forefather of the College Tennis Ranks formula predictions, never far from the listed UTR or parentheses world tennis number. Got to get with the modern times. I'll find a new rhyme for us here this year. Number slumber, always in a slumber. He knows your world tennis number. There it is. Live, folks. Of course, also a lean, mean Michigan Wolverine and the professor. It's Chris Helioris. Chris, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. Sorry for stumbling through that new rhyme. Should have had it for you ready beforehand. But it's our final preseason edition of the show. Did you like the 22nd note hold to start? And how are you feeling as we approach a new year? Man, in rhyming fashion, I'd say that was more of a blunder, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, gotta love the live live aspect. Okay, we're recorded, but it's still live. Yeah, we're live. This next is one week, take though. Gruskin tonight. One yeah. take Gruskin. There it is. Well, we're live starting next week, so I figured I'd get used to that yeah. live sensation once again here on tonight's show. But again. We are closing in on the start of a new college tennis season. Obviously, we are excited for tonight's preview. But again, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Cracked Rackets YouTube channel, probably 8 or 9 p.m. Eastern time will be the start time. We will have regular season editions of The Deciding Point back in our lives. Hopefully, you listeners will enjoy them moving forward. 
Today, we talk number one, Virginia. And look, before we have this conversation, I'm well aware, some massive news on the ITA front. ITA CEO Tim Russell announcing he will be stepping down, slowly but surely transitioning out of the role as CEO. That is a topic that requires its own discussion point. It's also a topic that requires more background research for me and Chris. That means calling coaches. That means maybe even calling Tim, hopefully having him on the show to explain why now was the right time for him to begin this transition transition out of his role as CEO. And to be quite frank, we're recording this Wednesday, January 10th. I just haven't had the time to send those texts, have those conversations yet. I don't believe Chris has either. So we are going to save that for next week. But obviously, Chris, the instant reaction, this is a guy who's meant so much to this game, played such a big role at the ITA for so long. He is a reason we have had the access that we have had over the past few seasons here at Crack Rackets, whether it's getting to host the national indoors, not just for me personally as the play-by-play announcer, but obviously to get to have that National Indoors Final 16 onwards broadcast on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, to have their encouragement with teams across the country to join us in broadcasting matches on our YouTube channel. Obviously, that's graduated into ESPN uh, platform broadcasts. He's meant a lot to so many, enacted a lot of changes. This accelerator program, something I know he worked for a long time to help establish. It's a big deal. With the CEO, Tim Russell, stepping down, obviously, I want your immediate thoughts. Look, as a guy that can sympathize and empathize with Tim, and I say this with all love, Tim, when you get to be like 97 years old, it's time <laughs> to give it up. But no, I mean, uh, look, I totally, I, I'm envious, to be honest, because Tim, you know, I'm sure he's got to the point where he's like, yeah, you know what? It's time to enjoy the rest of my life now. And, and he's built up a staff there. Um, that I think he feels like he's finally at the point and, you know, with what he's done and bringing guys like Dave Mullins and others in and Bruce and, and you could go through and Cody and Corey and et cetera, et cetera, that he feels like it's in good hands. Uh, I mean, I, my first, my other first reaction was I had to scan the news story to see, did they already name the replacement? And they didn't, but so that'll, I'm sure be a developing story, but yeah. I mean, best of best of luck to Tim. I hope it's not best of luck in your next uh, adventures from a work perspective. Hopefully, it's a. Uh you know, spending more time at your place up in the UP and enjoying life uh, with the wife, Tim. No, really well said. Uh, because again, Tim deserves whatever he wants to do next. Has given so much time, so much effort, so much energy to this sport. And obviously, again, we look forward to speaking with him certainly on this show before he does ultimately step down in his role. Again, people would love us to speculate right away. Give me some names, Alex. I want some juice out there. Who's going to be the next replacement? It's, it's not one of us. It's, it's Dalton Thieneman is a name that should be floated out there, honestly. <laughs> yeah, God. But it's definitely not one of us. Dalton, honestly, okay. I bet Dalton's on a short list somewhere. He should be on that <laughs> yeah. list. But obviously, whether it's internal, uh, they've got some excellent replacements there. You mentioned uh, Corey or Dave Mullins. And externally, if Erica Jesper were to come back in or – you know, again, a fun name just to float out there. Grant Chen's going to get some love in this process. He might be happy coaching at SMU, but a lot of people are going to say his name. There's a lot of fun speculation we could do. It's too soon to do so. I'll give you a more formal list next time we talk about Zero it. But there's some... Grant Chen. Zero. Yeah, I mean, he, his, uh, staff, his staff of players is bigger than the staff he'd have in the <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Grant. It's a never-ending series of jokes about the roster size at SMU and Wake Forest. It will never end. First one of the new season. I enjoyed it quite a bit. So, again, (laughs) that's a big piece of news. We'll talk about it with more depth certainly next week and I'm sure throughout the course of this season. Tonight, 
we offer our last preseason preview, a preseason preview, and we talk about the two-time defending NCAA Division One men's team champions, your University of Virginia Cavaliers. And look, we don't have to talk overperformance, underperformance, or just right because. If anything, it's an overperformance when you win a back-to-back national championship. Only six programs in NCAA history, six programs, have won multiple titles. Only six of them. And obviously, all of them have gone back-to-back. The one you're not going to name is William and Mary, who did it in 47 and 48. The others, Georgia, UCLA, Stanford, USC. Obviously, this Virginia program has gone back-to-back in recent memory. This is a program that won four out of five titles from 2013 to 2017. Coach Brian Bolin leaves after that stretch, and what a run it had been, really from 08, 07, 08 onwards. The Somdev, Devarman, Tret, Huey teams through Dom Inglot, Houston Barrick, Sanam Singh, and Michael Shabazz, Drew Courtney, obviously the Damajan era, Jameer Jenkins, Mitchell Frank, all the way through to Kwiatkowski, Richard, Aragoni, Weirsholm, and the boys who won three in a row. Again, it had been a ridiculous decade for Virginia the final decade of Coach Boland's coaching career. And any coach who tries to follow that up, massive shoes to fill. You expect regression just about for any program who goes through a stretch like that. That in six years, six years, Coach Andres Pedroso has already captured back-to-back national titles, bringing back the core of his team with an opportunity to win a third consecutive title. Again, he is entering his seventh season at the helm, had one completely wiped away from COVID, but let's remember. And yes, Weirsholm got injured. Soderlund, I think, got injured, or maybe it was a different player. I forget whom. But 2018, I think it was Soderlund and Weirsholm both got injured. Disaster. 14 and 13. They lose NCAA second round. They hadn't not made the round of 16 in about a decade. Again, disaster for Coach Pedroso, very much injury-related. In the years that have followed, quarterfinals 2019 with that Nakashima-Soderland crew. 2020 obviously wiped out with COVID. 2021, you bring in these three freshmen, Rodesh, Montez, Von der Schulenberg, and Kiefer as well, obviously, these four freshmen. They go to Columbus kickoff weekend, get a win at Ohio State, undefeated through the ACC regular season. By the way, they've never lost an ACC match in this Montez, Von der Schulenberg, Kiefer, Rodesh era. All the momentum in the world going into the NCAA tournament. They reach the round of 16. They get knocked off by a more experienced USC group. And you know what Coach Pedroso does with this group? How do they bounce back over the next two years? They say, we're never going to let that happen again. And even through back-to-back seasons where they were bad at the national indoors, not just not winning it, they just weren't on a national championship level. Michigan beat them 4-0 this year at the national indoors this past year, and it was a comfortable 4-0 victory. Watching Fenty beat Montez in the way he did at one, you were just like, oh my God, what is going on with the Who's right now? Did any of that matter come May? Absolutely not. They ripped through another ACC regular season undefeated, another ACC tournament championship. They got out a 4-3 victory over Kentucky in the quarterfinals, probably the best match we saw on the men's side in Orlando the entire time. Uh, excuse me, four, I said 4-3, 4-2. Then they beat Texas, your number one seed 4-1. 
Then they beat Ohio State in the doubles point, 4-0 the Buckeyes in that championship match, in a match where it was just clear Virginia had the special sauce. They had the goods. They were the team that trusted each other, that was able to play closest to their best level because they just didn't feel championship nerves in a way so many different teams had done. And that's the second straight year that's happened for Virginia, where they beat Texas, beat Ohio State in 2023. They obviously beat just a ridiculous reigning champion Florida team the year prior, and we're so loose the rest of the way. All of that is to say in setting the scene for this Virginia program, again, in six seasons, five and a half, five full, but six total years at the helm, Coach Pedroso has Virginia at the top of the men's college tennis world. They have cemented their status at, as a blue blood. They've now won seven titles, Chris, seven titles in 11 seasons. I mean... Two different coaching staffs, three different cores. Like, it's just all clicking for the who's, and they all come back. It's just worth noting, here's the history they're trying to make. I guess this will be my last stat for you. Winning three-peats in college tennis history has happened fewer than 10 times. Here are the three-peats we have seen in college tennis history. From 62 to 64, the USC Trojans. They also did it from 66 to 68, 67 to 69, and obviously the four-peat teams for Stevie Johnson, two three-peats within that. So it's happened most for the USC program. Wait, 66 to 68? 67 to 69, but that that's, doesn't count as a four-peat? No, that's two three-peats within the case of two four-peats. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so, again, they've got—that's happened to them two different times, only five times total of a three-peat. So that's five off the bat. Stanford's done it twice. 89 to 90 was a three-peat. 96—excuse me, 95 to 98, so they've done it three times, two within there. Um, so, again, that's eight. UCLA did it once. It was 52 to 54. That's it. They haven't done it in the modern era. And then so you have Billy the, Martin. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Sorry, Billy. You're just on top of it. Him, this Tim is, Russell. We're all over it. Let today. me tell you, Chris, you're not that young. All these guys that I sympathize with. Yeah. Very fair. Anyways, we're up to what? Nine total times. And then the Virginia three-peat team, 15 to 17. That's it. Only four programs. USC, Stanford, UCLA, Virginia. This Virginia run, or this Virginia class, trying to put themselves in that caliber of the all-time runs we've seen. And honestly, 52 to 54 might have been Arthur Ashe at UCLA. I'd probably <laughs> have to check the stats, but like that's actually a legitimate timeline for him. And just that's Stanford, four Pete's. That's the Bryans. That's... Goldstein. That's the era of eras for Stanford. Obviously, the Stevie Johnson four-peat teams speak for themselves. Like That's the echelon Coach Pedroso has this Virginia team sniffing within his first five full seasons on the job. There's no question to ask, Chris. Got any thoughts? No, I mean, yeah. It's a historic run. Yeah, we're going to get into it. But yeah, it's, yeah, it's been a, this is just the what you know the decade or so you know here decade and a half that we've been witnessing for like you said two different coaching staffs uh yeah they you know it, it's hard it's hard to even reason how that happens when it's not one you know one coach with a with a constant pipeline of re, you know recruiting that he's got going that that a program like that other than you know other than the fact that man they just picked the right guys obviously uh and it's it's been amazing and and for them to do what they've done with this group uh, and the chance to three peat uh it's it's just incredible here's the thing 
and you're absolutely right, and obviously I've showered them with praise. This is a legacy season. This is one of those things you don't talk about that much because they obviously can't four-peat, but the opportunity of three-peat, it's been done 10 times, like very, very special group you put yourself in if you manage to accomplish that. Here's the other part, though. This team hasn't had a signature season. They've had signature NCAA runs. Like, they've beaten the defending champs Florida in 2022. They beat number one Texas and are just clearly the toughest team in the most brutal conditions I've ever seen an NCAA tournament played in in Orlando last year. Like, I'm not saying their runs haven't been impressive. But we haven't seen that 32-1 campaign. We haven't seen them sweep both the indoors and the NCAA team event the way Virginia did in 2013 with the jenkins Damajan frank Corps, the way they did in 17, that final year for Kwiatkowski, Aragoni, and crew, Cornelli, when it was the, hey, let's cement our legacy. Even the Stevie Johnson teams, they swept both in 2012. If Virginia wants to be not, then first of all, they would never be a forgettable three-peat. But you want to be mentioned in that discussion of greatest of all time teams, which I don't think any of these Virginia teams would be put in yet. I don't think you'd put 2012 in there. I didn't mention the Stanford three-peat. 98 Stanford's the greatest team of all time. Like they, they, they don't talk about matches they lost. They talk about, oh, remember when we beat them 4-1 because— Points they, they lost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They talk about the three points they lost during that season. Vir, this Virginia core— hasn't had a season like that. And I guess this gets us into the returners, the new additions, et cetera, because they have all the pieces to do that. They have, if they want to be inspired like that, obviously the big focus is May. But look, this is, they have the opportunity to be a legacy team this year. You win your third repeat, you go 32 and one, you win a national indoor. Now you actually cement your spot of, hey, if they're having conversations about the greatest teams of all time, your team gets a seat at the table. And I just don't think this Virginia Arrow run, as impressive as it has been, and again, Chris, I'm sounding ridiculous, but it's our last preseason podcast. That's the second time preseason's just not coming out of my mouth. It's our second and it's our final preseason podcast, excuse me, of the year. And we get to talk legacy, which is just something you don't get to do that often with a program, with a team. And I just like, instead of overperform, underperform, or just right, is it fair to say, like, I want to hold them to legacy standards this year. Like, I want to see them go out and win the national indoors. I want to see them go out and beat Texas here in January in Austin to start the season. Send a statement of like, oh, yeah, in the past, we were kind of a slow burn and we heated up at May. But we just want to send one final message because all the dogs are back. Rodesh, Montez, Von der Schulenberg, Kiefer, we all got one more run with us, in us. Let's go out with the bang. Let's have a legacy season. I don't think it's unfair to ask that. I do. <laughs> I, just don't, I don't. I And look, we all know I voted them. We've been through this. I voted them number one. I think they deserve to be number one. I also don't think they're going to have a, you know, what you're going to call a quote unquote legacy season. I, I, I'm trying to think of the best analogy from, you know, from another sport of the team that, you know, maybe sort of just muddled through the year being above average and good, but not outstanding. And then all of a sudden when the playoffs rolled around, boom, there they are. And that's the team. And that's what this Virginia team is. And I honestly expect nothing different this year. I do not, especially with that schedule, I don't expect them to come out right out of the gate and go, you know, at Texas and win, at Ohio State indoors and win. 
I just don't expect that to happen, which you'd have to do to put up that sort of legacy type season. What I do expect to happen is that they're going to have the guys in uh, the optimal form come April and May, and they're going to be right there again in the NCAA title hunt, whether they've lost one match or, you know, four or five matches leading up to that. I think this year, I think, and this is a big if, but I, you know, I do think that once again, the ACC schedule will be somewhat kind to them. I don't think they have humongous challenges. I mean, there are some very good teams there, but I think they have a good shot to, you know, to do their thing in the ACC. But of course, Coach Pedroso's got a schedule with teams like Ohio State, like Kentucky, like Texas, like South Carolina, uh, you know, on the schedule before they play any ACC teams. And to think you're going to go out and win those all, especially like an indoor match, not that these guys didn't do it as freshman kickoff weekend at Ohio State, but to go to Ohio State indoors and do it, it's asking a lot. And frankly, I don't, you know, I don't even think they're all in perfect form right now to do that. That's a fair argument. We can get into that in a second. But you look at the schedule, and I know we'll talk more in depth about it. What's the inflection point match? When will you learn about these who's a little bit later? But Coach Pedroso set up a legacy season type of schedule. Like, you go to Columbus, and your class gets two wins in Columbus as a group before you graduate. You have a seat at the table at the best as the best team of all time. And to your point, like with the roster, uh, the schedule they have, South Carolina, Texas in Austin, at Ohio State, presumably three to four national indoor matches as well as an NCAA run. If they go 32-1 and one this year with their strength of schedule, again, now it's a seat at the table team if they win a national championship this year. And I just think like – it's just worth discussing those stakes is it's not very often you have a best team of all time seat at the table resume staring you in the face. And this team does. And the reason that schedule is so encouraging is because you look at the roster again, all the big dogs are back. You start with that top three as they've been the top three the last three years. Rodesh, Montez, Von der Schulenberg. We talked about this in our preseason preview podcast, Chris. Der, or Rodesh comes in with as strong of a claim to being the guy as anyone in college tennis. Now, we didn't get to see him much this fall. 22 in the rankings based off of a 3-1 and one record. But he went 21-3 and three overall last year in dual match play. 18-1 and one at the top spot. Was unbeatable down the stretch in the NCAA run and, you know, again, makes the semifinals of NCAAs as well. He's been the number one guy on the national championship winning team the last two years, was up 5-3 in the third on Spiz, gets a win over Boulay, like was in a third set with Shelton when the moment called for it against Florida the year prior as well. Chris Rodesh is as big of a big match player as we have in college tennis. You know, five years from now, I don't know if he might be a really good pro, so I won't be calling him the most underrated player of the early 2020s, but like he has a resume to look at, certainly. And even if that's your only foundation point you're bringing back from a national championship team, you're feeling really good. But again, they bring back an Inyaki Montez, 13 and 5 overall, but 9 and 3 at the number two spot. And you know, again, you know it's at least two hours he's going to get on court, and he obviously delivers the clinch over Kingsley in the national championship in Yaki so far this fall. Uh, you look for him in the rankings right now, sitting at 38, 5-3 in the matches he played. 
in college, but you look at what he was able to do on the pro circuit over the course of the past few months in Yaki, working his ranking up to 508 right now in the rankings, 22-9 and nine on the pro circuit over the fall, over the summer, so he certainly brings in a high level. And then the guy who probably played the most college action over the course of the fall, Jeffrey Von der Schulenberg, 11-6 overall in his college matches coming off of a year where he went 25-5 and overall, 20-4 and at the number three spot. He gets a win over Tracy in the NCAA championship as well. You look for him in the rankings right now. Von der Schulenberg, 26, coming off of that fall. Again, they're all back. They were all excellent last season. And it's funny, looking at those records, Chris, do I think Rodash goes 18-1 and again at number one? No, that's a really tough ask for anyone. I think he can go 17-3. and I think Inyaki Montez, who went 9-3 and last year because he just didn't get the opportunity to finish matches frequently because they were winning so often at 1-3-4. and I think he's going to go better than 9-3 and at the two spot. I do think Jeffrey, 20-4 and is probably the floor for what you're going to get from him at the number three spot. Like, you start right there. That's the core. That's done it the last three seasons, and that core is back at the top, Chris. That's a national championship winning top three. We've just seen it now th- two straight years. Yeah, I I can't argue that, and and I think I I do think though it's it's a it's some guys that in the regular season may you know they may not wow you, but man, you just know when it com- when it comes down to that you know conference championship NCAA time. You're not. You're just not betting against those guys. Uh, like you said, you know, Rodesh five three on Spiz. It's it's impossible to bet against them at at this point. And it really does come down to, okay, we know what we've got there. Let's talk about the rest because that's where the questions all come. And okay. that's going to be what that's going to be what makes or breaks a you know a legacy season or even another chance at a national title season in a three-peat, right? The thing that we don't talk about enough, because Montez, obviously, he's the face, he's the fire, the spirit. Rodesh is the best player of the group. Von der Schulenberg's been the best three in the country maybe for three straight years. And just what he's done consistently, year over year, I'm looking for the record his first season. I don't see it off the top of my mind, but the last two years, 24-5 and five and 20-4. and four in dual match play at that number three spot. Like, he is just a sure thing. And he's never complained about playing at that number three spot. You never hear rumors, oh, he's on the portal. He wants to go play one somewhere else. No, he is more than fine slotting in there and just racking up victory after victory. I do think, you know, again, when you talk about a top three, as important as it is to have that best guy, like, if you have the best third guy and you're like, no, no, but our top three, we actually have three real options, like, where they're all winning all those matches. Again, Von der Schulenberg has been that difference, right? He has been that good for that long, and even though he doesn't get the highest ranking at the end of the year because he's playing at that number three spot, like, he is the most, he's as consistent as yeah, anyone. Even as a country. freshman, he was 16 and six in dual yeah. matches. Come I mean, on now. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Doesn't give as much love as he should. I will say, okay, this is where we can get it. Do you want to get into the dispute? No, no, no. You know what? I'm going to save the dispute for a second. Let's talk about the other returners first. Let's talk Dahlberg. Let's talk Kiefer more than anything because last year they were clutch in stepping into their roles. You look for Alex Kiefer in particular after waiting on the bench for so long. 18-4 and four overall in dual match play. He won his last seven finished decisions. 6-0-4 in his last 10 overall Talk about stepping up for the junior. Again, does he have the biggest weapons? No. 
Is he taking at least two hours and then probably beating you by wearing you down the stretch? Absolutely. He was clutch. Freshman Mons Dahlberg, 16-5, and five, primarily at the five and six spots. But again, for a freshman to be asked to come in and deliver for a national championship winning team, he won his last five decisions, seven, one, and two in his last ten. The question is, will they regress as we enter this year? And Because you look at what Rodesh... Montez did over the summer, in particular on the pro circuit, von der Schulenberg in the fall. Like you feel like they're going to be able to sustain their level. Dahlberg went three and five here in the fall. Kiefer six and five overall. The wins losses weren't that great either way. You have any fear of regression from either of those two, or do you think they'll both again? Are you expecting the same? I don't know if it. Yeah, I'm not sure it's, if it's regression. I. I think there's a good chance that they aren't. Right, we'll get to we'll get to the other incoming person that you know that's going to be in that top four for Virginia. And I think now, so the question really becomes to me: so who are five and six? And obviously, the returners and Kiefer and Dahlberg are there. I think there's a good chance that you know again we'll see who's informed that that they're not both playing. I think we're going to see another name in that lineup. Uh, and so that gives them the luxury of even if one of them isn't quite as, you know, playing as well as maybe they were or it's just it's not cutting it. They don't have to play them both. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously when you're trying to stack this lineup on paper up against a lineup like we talked about, you know, in, in Texas, they're coming out on the short end down that low uh, on paper. And so they're going to need something out of these guys. Yeah. Neither one of them was great in the fall. Uh, but I, I, I don't have any doubts that coach Pedrosa is going to get what he needs out of five and six, you know, during the year, all the way up to the tournament. And it's going to end up the, you know, what's going to matter is do they show up and play that level when they're in the final site uh, in, in Stillwater. That's true. And again, they've earned the benefit of the doubt, but Dahlberg, three and five. Three set loss to Ryan Fishback. No shame in that, but losses to Connor Krug of Duke, Nicholas Hung of Auburn, who are going to be bottom half line of players on those teams respectively. Like, that's one you'd like Dahlberg to win again on the Kiefer front. Look at who he was able to beat. Beat Alejandro Moreno of Auburn. That's a very good win. Nathan Cox win. of Vanderbilt. That's a good win as well. Three set loss to Nate Bonetto. No harm in that. Three set loss to Anuj Watani. Again, that's a match he might have to play come the dual match season. One you'd like to see him win. Kiefer's number is a little bit misleading because he played a lot of ranked players. Like, I actually feel better about Kiefer than Dahlberg coming off of the fall. But I guess yeah. that gets us into the new additions, and this is where I can make my gripe. Ryan Getz is the most underrated player of the last two years. Ryan Getz was so good over these last two years. Last season, 23-3. and 23-3, Chris, in dual match play last year. Uh, his success primarily coming at that number four single spot. You look for him the year before that. Again, another ridiculous season for Getz where he went 25-7 and seven in singles, 32-9 and nine in doubles. Oh, yeah, by the way, Ryan Getz last season on the doubles courts, a bunch of different pairings, 11-2 and two when he played with Iñaki Montez. But, again, that's who he played with most, 7-4 and four when he played with Kiefer at the three spot. 
That's a real contributor. Someone who went 19-2 and two last year at the fourth spot. And look, their freshman, Dylan Dietrich, yes, he was a top 10 newcomer. Dylan Dietrich, you look at what he was able to do at the junior level. This guy ranked as high as number 41 in the junior rankings. A couple of losses for him at the junior slams to Nishesh Basavaretti. But again, top 50 junior in the world, that means something. This is also a guy who was ranked as high as 680 in the ITF singles rankings. Uh 971 was his career high ATP singles ranking. Anyway, 18 and 15 this year in playing pro circuit matches. He might be very good. I don't know if that's Ryan Getz good. Like that's not 19 and two at the number four spot, or at least that's not a sure thing to go 19 and two. And to ask that of any freshman would be too much to ask. And look, there are some other new uh, newcomers to this roster I want to talk about who I do think we'll see contribute from time to time. But if you're expecting Dylan Dietrich to just walk in and step into Ryan Getz's shoes, Chris, that's not going to happen. Yeah, probably not. I mean, you just can't expect a freshman to come in and and do – you can't expect a freshman to come in and do what Getz was doing as a senior. Can he come in and, and, you know, and be really good as a freshman? And if he's presumably in the four spot, sure. But like most things, you know – it's not even necessarily about the kind of talent he's got. It's it's going to be getting adapting to the college game and all that good stuff that people like to underrate. He's got the talent, you know, anybody that can come out that hasn't even isn't even a freshman yet in college and is going, you know, three sets with Gabe Diallo, six, four in the third. Granted, he loses the match and a challenger, but that's where he's at. You know, you know, you know, the guy can play, but can he play? day in, day out in a college season in that kind of atmosphere, there are always those challenges. It's never as easy as you think it is. They always look great on paper and then they get into college and you're like, wow, I thought this guy was going to win every match and it just doesn't happen. So no, as a freshman, certainly not early in the year, but I think that's the that's the luxury this team has. They are, they're so veteran, so veteran laden up top that they're going to be able to bring him along. And it's there's not tons of pressure on bringing in, a, you know, a top junior and a guy who's, you know, very heralded, you know, great ratings, et cetera. You're not expecting him to come in like he might be on many other teams and play one or two and win 90% of his matches. They're going to play him, you know, in all likelihood at four and let him come along. And it's just another reason, in addition to the other guys on the team that seem to warm up come May, another reason that this team's just going to get better as the year goes on, as they get the freshmen, you know, more accustomed to the college game, to the team environment, et cetera. Yeah. And we've seen freshmen come in and have success for the Who's in the past. Obviously, Ryan Shane, Max Steislinger, huge contributors in 2013 to that first title team. You look, obviously, 15, 16, 17. It was a different freshman every year. El Toronto and Weirsholm, that first year, you bring in uh, Carl Soderlund as well, that final year. All I'm saying is you look at the numbers, 23 and 4 at the number 4 spot. Let's say they go 19 and 6 at 4 this year. Where are you getting those other wins from? Where it has to get better? 24 and 3 at 1. I don't know how much better. I'm not saying they're going to get worse, but how much better you're going to get there. 15 and 5 at 2, room for improvement. 24 and 5 at 3, that's about as good as you can get. 18 and 4 at 5, that's about as good as you can get. 19 and 7 and 6 is the other spot. Like that's where you maybe you look for some improvement, is whether it's Dahlberg, Kiefer, whomever it is in that spot, Dietrich, or Maybe it's one of their other newcomers. And look, 
Oh, interesting. So then make the case. Who's the other new addition you think slots into that spot? Eddie Graziani from Penn. Interesting. So the transfer who comes over from Penn for his final season struggled a little bit in the fall. And by the way, who's 56-52 and 52 overall in the fall in singles? Now, again, a lot of players on the roster got a lot of matches, so that's a very misleading number. Graziani goes 6-8. and eight. Overall, and we got to see him in a lot of big events, a lot of big matches, losses to guys like Carl Poling, Andrew Zhang, Lucas Staheli, who will all be playing higher in their team's rosters. But those are three conference foes, North Carolina, Duke, NC State, right off the bat. You look at the best wins. Good win over Matt Thompson of Wake, beats Jeremy Casabone of, of UVA, uh, UVA, excuse me, Casabone of Vanderbilt. Like again, left some some meat on the bone in terms of results to be desired there. Chris certainly didn't make a direct claim like this number six spot is mine to lose. Uh, no, I, I totally agree. I've just I've I've gotten to see a, a fair amount of him uh, over the last couple years, uh, and I think you know, and he's playing top of the lineup. Uh, uh, you know, obviously for Penn, he's got a game. He's not a huge power guy. I think he's got a game that will be a really, really good game at six for a team like Virginia. Uh, Probably not going to be the lock six. They're going to have a big battle there, but I don't think they're going to have any problem whatsoever if they go, yeah, we got to roll him out uh, in the sixth spot. He uh, he's going to grind you down. And he's just solid all the way around. I think he's a guy that if, you know, who knows if Dahlberg isn't like you talked about, if there's a regression or if he's not up to it, I think those guys, I do think Kiefer will be in the lineup. I kind of think we see Kiefer in that five spot and that we see, you know, sort of a battle there between, between Graziani and, and Dahlberg. You add another guy, obviously like James Hopper coming over from case Western, uh, I think we're looking to see him much more as a doubles player than we are a singles player. But he's an option if things aren't going your way. But honestly, I think if if that's the case, yeah, I don't think you're 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 not making the case for the fact that they're going to have that legacy kind of season. Um, I, I think they're counting on somebody stepping up real big, and the upside I think is there b- better for the for the other two guys. I think that's fair. And look, Hopper, we should say it's really special what he's doing coming over from Virginia uh, from what Kansas a story, Division yeah. Three. Yeah, Division Three wins the first team title in Case Western program history last year, wins doubles titles the last two seasons, I believe. You know, again, seven and five this fall, and it wasn't the toughest schedule of matches. Lost match two and two to Cash, two and three to Vander Schulenberg, five and six to Clemson, uh, Columbia's Weingar, six and one to Matt Thompson of Wake Forest. They get wins over Jaden Templeman, Carter Morgan, but you mentioned it, a place where I think this team could be even better this year. I know they went 20 and 16 overall in doubles in the fall, but you know, last year they were solid at all three spots, 16 and 8, 22 and 7, 18 and 9, and most importantly they won the doubles point that mattered, that doubles point in the final against Ohio State, but I like the pieces they have. I'll take Rodesh and anyone, and obviously last year at the end of the season, him and Vander Schulenberg, 10-1 and one at the number two spot. You feel good about that team coming back. Montez and Hopper made a run at the All-Americans, and you look for that duo. They're ranked eight right now in the country based off their three-and-one run. Kiefer and Vander Schulenberg, six-and-four. They're 44 in the country, but that's a lot of experience, a lot of balls put in the court there. You know, again, Graziani maybe less so in doubles, but maybe Dietrich comes in. He's got some weapons to work with. Who knows? 
I just like the pieces. I like Hopper added as a piece to come in in doubles, maybe fill a gap left by the absence of Will Woodall. Like, feels like a good energy guy, good glue guy. I also think you can't measure this, but the team chemistry on this, again, there's clearly a respect, a fondness between Montez, Rodash, Van der Schulenberg, and Kiefer. And they're the seniors. And that's just going to permeate all the way through the roster. There's no disruptions to this team's chemistry. They know what's ahead of them. They know the goal. I think all the new pieces fit into that as well. It, it's like, a, I guess I ask you, Chris, coming in, who are you most confident in, in their respective role, given the summer falls and rankings they're all at? I mean, I, I'm still going to always be most confident in Rodesh. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's just, he's he so the guy. Yeah, he's so solid. He's got, you know, <laughs> I mean, you just watch him play big, sir, big guy, big game. Uh, I'm also confident that Inyaki's going to play, you know, he's going to finish less than half his matches because he's going to be out there for two and a half hours. And when the match is over and they're not, and they're not playing it out, uh, you know, he goes unfinished, but I'm confident that he will stay out there all day with anybody. And to your point, yeah, Vondra Schulenberg is probably going to be in that three spot yet again. And he's probably only going to lose two or three matches at most all year. I'm, you know, as a collective, I'm super confident in all of that top three. It's really the the all the questions come in after that. And I think if they can get just progress, and I think that's all Coach Coach Pedroso knows what he's got in the top three. What he's looking for is that those top three help develop the rest of that lineup through the year. Bring a guy like Dietrich along. Bring Dahlberg or Graziani, whoever else is going to be there, because I do think Kiefer will be in the lineup, and I don't think he needs to be brought along. He just needs to be playing well. Uh, but bring those guys along and, you know, give them time. They're going to be just fine. But, yeah, it, to me, it's a, all the confidence in the world in the top three, all the questions in the world about the bottom three. Look, Rodesh Montez played a lot of pro matches. Chris Rodesh up to 600 in the pro rankings in August based off the 18 and 11 2023 he had on the pro circuit. Montez reached a career high 493 based off of his 22 and 9 record. And again, Von der Schulenberg, the most wins of the group in the ITA fall. Why I think they could have a career, uh, a, a Pantheon type season, Chris, is it's clear the accelerator program means a lot to those guys as well. And Rodesh. And Montez came back and played the All-Americans. You know, Van der Schulenberg played the full fall because he knows, hey, I'm probably going to be at three, so I need to get these ranked matches in now. Those guys are going to want those wild cards, those opportunities, because they do have serious pro aspirations. And that's why, yeah, I think that's the group you feel most confident about because there's some serious incentive for them to bring it, not just come May. And I'm not saying they ever tanked in matches before May, but to be their best all year long so they don't have to worry about those positions. And obviously they have the schedule to play real ranked opponents all year long and put themselves in comfortable top 10 sort of spots so that the accelerator program, again, not at doubt come the end of the year. Who's their MVP? However you think of that term, we've reached the end of the preseason, so I hope you feel steady about it now. But where are you turning as it relates to this Virginia roster? Well, from this perspective, I've, I've got to say that I do. it's going to be the, the point that is most valuable to them in terms of if they're winning that spot, they do have that shot at going you know, back to back to back. And it's got to be whoever's playing six. I mean, you know what you're getting out of the top three. Probably seeing, uh, you know, I think that we're probably seeing uh, 
Dietrich at four, Kiefer at five. And then someone's got, you know, whether it's Dahlberg, whether it's Graziani, whether it's James Hopper, someone has to step into that spot and it has to be, it can't be a, hey, we go 13 and 10 in the six. No, it's got to be a, we need someone to step up and put up, oh, you know, a, a 20 and five kind of record and be able to compete with these other three teams that we're laying out in the top four in all likelihood uh, when it comes down to the final site and and can actually bring us into a title. Sure. Can you get away without winning it? Yeah. But if that, if that position's playing well and can play with anybody for them, they're in good shape. Yeah. It's a fair argument to make. I think I've made my case pretty clear on the glass half full side. It's Von der Schulenberg. Guy doesn't lose at three. Comes through in all the big matches. He's the one you always have confidence in that you're just like, well, Virginia's got the advantage at three. So let's start there. Find the other three points. In terms of who's most vulnerable, it's four. Like one of Dietrich, Dahlberg, Kiefer, Graziani, Hopper, whomever it may be. Someone's got to step up and play that four spot. And fine, they don't have to be Getz-esque, but the floor can't fall out from underneath them. Like, it can't be a sieve to where now five and six have to be really good all the time because I don't know if Kiefer Dahlberg have 20 and four seasons in them. Now, maybe they do, and it's a different conversation, and this is a Pantheon-level team. But, like, I need to see it. And so I think that four spot's the one I'm most fascinated in. Is it Dietrich? Is it someone else? If it's someone else, is that a bad thing? Does Kiefer step up into that role early in the season? I'm fascinated, Chris. That's the position I'm most interested in. So make the call right now. In regard, I don't care who the players are. Which spot has the worst record at the end of the year for this team? Four or six? Four. Okay. I think they're going to be worse at four than six. I'll say it's six. Okay. But that's, but that, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, well look, we're going to get to see them tested because we mentioned it. The schedule is <laughs> awesome. Credit to Coach Pedroso. By the way, we talk about new additions. Obviously, they're going to miss Scotty Brown, who is a part of both the first three-peat and this back-to-back title run. He's now the Vanderbilt men's tennis head coach. They bring back Brian Rasmussen, though, who was around this program last year and has coached for Virginia in the past and is just a fantastic human being. One of my favorite coaches we have and is so passionate, so enthusiastic. We'll do whatever it takes to put these athletes in a position to succeed. Obviously, they bring back Trett as well as the third coach and Andreas coming back. That's a really sound staff Look, they're getting tested. A team that you used to care quite a bit about, Liberty Flames, the opener this weekend on on the 13th. But they've got at Texas, Thursday, January 18th. South Carolina coming into town Sunday, January 21st. They're going to be heavy favorites in kickoff weekend. Penn, FAU, Northern Arizona, their region, a testament to whom they're bringing back. But in between that and the national indoors, in Columbus against Ohio State, in Lexington against Kentucky, at home for Georgia uh, as well. Then they get into their ACC schedule where this season they're in Chapel Hill. They're in Durham. That's the March 8th, 10th weekend. Of course, they've got the Miami trip to Coral Gables, to Tallahassee as well. But look, they're the prohibitive conference favorites. They haven't lost a conference match in three years. Chris Hallioris, I ask you, what's the weekend you're going to learn the most about these who's? Is it really just not until May? Um, I don't, you know, I don't know. Obviously that's when I expect them to step up. Right. But am I, are we not going to know anything about them to then? No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm really looking, I'll tell you what I'm really. There's I'm, only one answer to this question. So let's just get there. <laughs> well, I, I think I know where, where, where you're going, but it's actually a couple, couple spots, right? Yes. Pre-kickoff weekend, 
Texas, and then back home against South Carolina. That's a big weekend. That's also a lot of travel to go all the way to Austin for a Thursday night match, no less. A night match on a Thursday and then have to be home for a Sunday afternoon 1 p.m. match. Ooh, that's a that that's some travel. That's a huge weekend. At the same time, I'm just as excited to see right post kickoff weekend at Ohio State at Kentucky. That's monstrous. Uh, I, I can't wait to see that. Yeah. I forgot about the at Texas. You're right. There's two matches. If they come out and beat Texas in Austin right away, they're on Pantheon watch. But the answer is obviously in Columbus because this core has done something only two teams have done since 2005. They went into Columbus and they won a match. They opened the Ty Tucker Tennis Center with a loss for the Buckeyes there. Buckeyes haven't lost in Columbus since. This core for Ohio State gets another shot at Virginia at home. Virginia comes out and wins that match. It's no longer Pantheon Watch. They're the favorites entering the national indoors. And that's a pre-national indoor match that will tell me, okay, Virginia wants to win this indoors. Like, they're in it already. We know what this team looks like. That's the match to me. Like, go to Columbus, win again. You're in the Pantheon conversation. By the way, the Buckeyes win that match. It's obviously going to tell us a ton about them as well. But to me, that's the one. At Texas is awesome. It's first month of the year. Columbus before the national indoors. I mean, it's all, you know, again, we've seen the Buckeyes steamroll people in this scenario where they go 4-0 over three top 10 teams back to back to back. This Virginia team doesn't lose 4-0 matches very frequently. So that's what I'm fascinated for. Let's get to the final question. The question of questions. If this team doesn't repeat Chris Hallioris, what what went wrong? Why does that happen? Uh, uh, much like I said on the, on the Texas you know, show it's not going to be necessary. I mean, sure. They could have a bad match, but it's not going to be, they could have that. They probably had a bad match. It's that look, I mean, Texas, Ohio state, and we can still debate the TCU thing, but those teams are so good that it's just going to be a better team beat them on that day. I mean, it's not, uh, I expect them to be there, but look, you, you lay these lineups next to each other including pro results and everything, you know, and you stack them up and you're taking those other teams before you're taking Virginia. Virginia is getting this number one because of the fact that we know they've done it. There's all the respect in the world for the way these guys can turn it on. They play as a team, uh, you know, everything about them. They're the consummate professionals when it comes to the college tennis game. And they've got all those intangibles going for them. But sure, on any given day, any of the other teams could beat him. And I think that's just going to be, if it doesn't happen for them, it's because they just got beat by a better team. Like Coach Pedrosa said, look, we weren't the best team last year, but we won and when we had to. And it could be the same situation where they roll in and they don't win. And it's not because they don't win. It's because somebody else does. And, you know, like we said, we said with Texas, unbelievable lineup. If they played, you know, 80% of that potential, it's, they're going to be so ridiculously hard to beat that, yeah, there'll be no fault in losing to them. I'm going to go twofold with my case for why they don't repeat. One is everything you just said there. Some of these other teams, Texas, Ohio State, are once in a generation good as well. And, you know, part of this leads into 
someone's got to fill the Gets shoes. And just match calculus-wise, last year Virginia went into every match thinking we should win the top four against all of you. We feel like we're the favorites, the experience, the talent, the results of Rodesh, Montez, Von der Schulenberg, and Getz were better than you at the top four spots. This year, you can't say that about the top four. You can say that about the top three still because it's the same three guys, all a year more experience, but you have questions about four. Kiefer, Dahlberg, they were great. Can they repeat that again? They haven't done it three years like the top three have. They've done it once. They're going to be asked to do that again. There could be some regression in the bottom half in a year where you just cannot afford to be worse than last year. And I do think you could argue, as good, unless Dietrich has one of those special Virginia seasons as a freshman, which is very, very possible, like they, this team could be worse than last year's version when the rest of the field has gotten better, at least at the top. The other difference is they ain't catching no one by surprise this year. And even though they were the defending champs last year, they weren't good at the national indoors. Yeah, the ACC had some teams, Wake, NC State, Duke, UNC. They were all good teams. There were no other great teams to push UVA throughout the course of the ACC season. So you weren't really certain how good they were. And it just felt like, again, round of 16, they played Duke a team they had already beaten multiple times. It was like, give me a new face. Give me something I haven't seen. Let's see Virginia tested by the best once again because early in the season they stumbled. Then they didn't. Then they went on this miraculous run, and now they proved, okay, this team is going to be a different sort of beast come May. And I just think everyone is going to be chasing that all year long, even if they have a bad national indoors, even if Texas or Ohio State comes into NCAAs undefeated, Virginia's just not catching anyone by, uh, off guard anymore. They're going to get everyone's best always because they are the reigning back-to-back champs, and that's who everyone runs through. And you just can't quantify you know, what that inspiration means to the other units. You also can't quantify what just dealing with that pressure is going to mean for this Virginia squad. And it, again, this team has dealt with the pressure so well these last two years. Now it's the last go-round, and everything is amped up. And maybe it's not just all going to fall into place as perfectly as it has these last few seasons. And so I guess, again, what it comes back to is they cannot afford to regress from the last two seasons because I do think the top of the field is caught up. And you just wonder if they can catch lightning in a bottle one more time. Yeah, I mean, that's <clears throat> that's a great point. I think very valid. It, it, you know, I said that they're not going to, you know, they're not going to give it up. But it may, it could very well be that we watch them play the tournament and go, yeah, four, five, and six just weren't as good as four, five, and six in the other teams. And that's what, even if the top three can win, you know, or two out of the, you can't expect all three, get two out of the three, you got to get something at the bottom. And yeah, that is a very valid thing that could happen is they just might not be up to the task there. That could be a reason if it doesn't happen, they just don't get the production at the bottom in the tournament. Yeah. At the same time, let's be clear. How did I start out this podcast? Fewer than 15 times. It's 10 times total. We've seen a three-peat in college tennis, and it's very rarely happened in the modern era. Since 2000, USC, from again, they had the four-peat. You had the Virginia three-peat from 15 to 17. Those are the only two times since 2000. This Virginia team has already won back-to-back titles. They have already etched their place in NCAA history. They want a seat at the best-of-all-time table. Go win your third national championship. Put together another special season. No one will have any doubts after that. And look, there's a reason they're our preseason number one. They're the reason they're the coaches preseason number one is because if you've watched the NCAA tournament, you know this team is fueled by those doubts and they always seem to bring their best come May. UVA, your preseason number one. 
in our Crack Rackets poll. That said, Chris Hallioris, before I let you go here and before we get ready for the start of a new year, I asked this question to John J. Parsons. I want to ask it to you as we look back at our series. And a reminder, you can recap every episode by scrolling down in your Great Shot podcast feed. Head into our website, CrackRackets.com. Our preseason top 10 is as follows. Number 10, Columbia. Nine, Duke. Uh, nine is not Duke. Nine, Arizona. Eight, USC, seven, Tennessee, six, that's a lie, eight, USC, seven, who am I missing? Why are the rankings screwed up when I look at this scroll? Never mind, I was looking at the wrong sheet. Leave it all in, Westoff. Let's try it again. One more time. Rewind sound effect, please. All right, number 10, Columbia. I was right about that, Chris. At least we can know that we got that part right. Number 10, Columbia, number 9, Arizona, number 8, USC, number 7, Tennessee, number 6, South Carolina, number 5, Stanford, number 4, TCU, number 3, Ohio State, number 2, Texas, and number 1, Virginia. Now you ask me, what's the take I'd like back most from our preseason series? Other than that last reading of our top 10, I don't know. I feel fine. I should have pushed harder about six and seven. I don't like South Carolina and Tennessee there. Obviously, we learned some new things. We're all higher on Michigan State after the fact. I should have pushed harder for Kentucky. I don't know. I wish I just should have. I should have convinced us to let us do four pods where we talk about pods of teams because my biggest takeaway is six through twenty. There's still so much parity. Obviously, I already offered my biggest regret. I should have pushed you harder. It's a top three. It's not a top four. TCU does not have the benefit of the doubt that Ohio State, Texas, and Virginia have, and I should have pushed that harder in the moment. But other than that take, I'm pretty sound in where we are because, again, there's a lot of parity, six through 20. It could have gone either way. What's one take you'd like back before we wrap our preseason shows? Hey, it's too soon for me to want to take anything back. I love everything we did. I'll go the opposite way. Instead of saying the one thing that I want back, the thing that sticks in my mind most about the whole series. So if you're listening to this one and it's your first one of all of them, the energy that that you and I had for the entirety of the Ohio State show <laughs> was, was unbelievable. One. I mean, look, we, we do these and and we get moments where we get heated here or there. We were like high octane from start to finish on that Ohio State pod. Yeah. It, was, it was so good. It's because it was a rare moment where we disagreed on something. Like there's a lot of unanimity between us in these preseason podcasts. And again, Ohio State is where we disagreed and disagreements bring out the best in us. Again, it's hard to disagree about a two-time defending champ. I tried to push back on Chris at the, to the best of my ability, but – I think I was making some good points that he conceded. So again, like <laughs> we feel pretty good about this top 10s. And now all we can say is let's roll the balls out. Let's play some college tennis. We will be back again twice a week during the regular season. Once to talk about the women, once to talk about the men here on the Deciding Point and Great Shot podcast feed will also be available on our Crack Records YouTube channel. I believe Tuesdays and Wednesdays will be the dates. We'll give you times as we get closer to our first official episode. But Chris, we're ready to rock and roll. Any college tennis ranks things? Any final thoughts before we get into a new season? No, we got, uh, you know, try to get things up and rolling by indoors. Uh, you know, some things on the side, you know, most notably right now, the pro stuff is all back in good shape. So you can check out where some of these guys are 
how they're faring. Some of the current players actually still play in this week. Uh, expect everybody back on campus to play in, you know, school matches now starting in the next week. But we'll get the we'll get schedules and 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 whatnot up here in the next next couple of weeks. Try to have it all set for indoors and uh, and and that'll be kind of the real start. But yeah, I'm excited to see some some real match dual matches start happening here uh, over the next week. I love to hear it. Well, then, for the final time here in the preseason, for the fantastic Chris Haliores, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who, as always, has a f*** of an editing job to do day in, day out, making all of our content possible. And for everyone here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host, Alex Gruskin, Chris Haliores. For the last time this preseason, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you next week with the start of a new college tennis season. Thank you, everyone. Thank you.